a preschool environment. It's being run by, there's some administrators and you got to attack, you know, things from that end. You're like, okay, I'm teaching director. I've got to take care of this. Make sure that there's, that, that there's this organization that's functioning well for the people that are paying money and the investors and all, all this. And then boom, nature comes along and just rips all of that away. And what happens in its place is these natural play moments that you can't, that you could never get in <laughs> that conventional environment, the, the corporate <laughs> environment that you, because there's, there's so many things that have so been you, you're, you're that saying that Corona is the best advocate for today's episode. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there, there's something to that, right? Um, <clears throat> well, uh, introductions first, introduction. I am your host, Ron Green, Lucian Nather. And I am Carl Emmons, a.k.a. Blue Scabby. <laughs> Corona has sneaked in and said, it's time for play to happen. Yeah, and I, I got, I got a, a beautiful, beautiful text from uh, from Micah yesterday. Micah, a great mentor, educator, um, who is is in the public sector. Um, he's worked in alternative education and conventional education. And Micah s- sends me this message yesterday that was just amazing. He's out of the blue. He says, uh, if you ever needed data on just how harmful our techno wizardly approach to education is, now is your moment, my friend. Every child, parent, and educator on earth needs to be outside actually learning right now. My kids are crawling the walls, so am I. Uh, straight from straight from Mr. Micah. It's wow. and it was just, it was so true. And 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 I look at my like teachers deal within a quarantine sort of environment, right? Like you're obliged for 45 minutes, 40 minutes, sometimes an hour and a half to maintain people in quarantine. Well, I think the the number four here is really appropriate. So, um, so quarantine refers to 40 days, um, which is maybe a standard uh, instructional design happens over the course of 40 days, uh, something like that. And what do we call a, a room in Spanish? Cuarto. Cuarto. Four, four <laughs> walls. You got quarters, you, you know. So uh-huh. I think it's, I think it's describing actually very clearly within our language, the box. It's like that's a box. So we're just uh, we're wow. In so a box. wait, 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 wait. So so are you saying that that parents just might uh, widespread maybe awakening to <laughs> this idea that their kids have been quarantined? Like this is what my kid looks like when he's inside for more than 35 minutes oh i think i think that's happening across the board jill my 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 beautiful wife got a great message from from it was like the first week of quarantine when um 
one of her parents sent her a message that said, listen, I didn't understand what you have to deal with on a regular basis. And now I'm getting the idea. I think it's completely appropriate to add to the supply list for next year's um, school four um, bot- four bottles of vodka. <laughs> right. <laughs> It was, it was fantastic. So, so empathy yeah. is seeping <laughs> all, all over the place. And, and I would say, and, and this is wishful thinking, empathy with a bit of, little bit of rebellion. Like, you don't know this, but I got I to gotta talk about it. So we have been wanting kids realizing that the school was built in the environment that it was. That's just a case. One day being outside with the managers, I said, this, this is where kids could learn something. Why don't we make it once a month? We go somewhere field trips take place uh and and that's a valid equivalent the frequency needs to increase that's the battle mm-hmm. i want that to happen all the time where right. right. <laughs> I, I if this is working and 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 this is where originative always hits something and, and in our case here in China, we are doing world-class. Parents drop their kids off at a random location, the bay, the mountain, the local river, and they pick them up, you know, six, seven, eight hours later. It's absolutely received by management, by parents. Government is absolutely opposed to it right but everyone agrees even government that has come to our school to kind of survey uh, has agreed that that's great and whatever it is that your position is you you hold your stance that it's not correct or not (laughs) and so my big push my big push before covid started was to move our world class which is a field trip day once a month to twice a month Mm. and and it, it it's a little to ask and it does not go against education and learning the way learning should happen in any way but it does try to court and skirt all of this other nonsense that doesn't allow education and development to happen in the way that it should. And so, you know, the joke of the vodka is very similar to a joke here of, yeah, granted you built this thing and the classrooms (laughs) have all this stuff, but we're not going to use it. Fortunately, we've already defeated that battle. If local government and, and, and you know, national government could agree that it was okay for kids to be in a forest school environment, 
then it would be okay. Uh, but that can that conversation can only take place where empathy <laughs> by a parent by millions of parents that understand what it is like to be with children that are locked up uh-huh. quarantine in a classroom can take place whereby right now we are qualified to receive and execute great programming outside of the realms of the quarantine classroom. And the more empathetic and the more voiced these parents can be to say, we want class to take place in unforeseen environments, the better. Um, It could be that some of this is awakening to what extent it's possible for big change i don't know but that's an interesting part of this whole conversation for sure yeah you know it's a case for the quarantine in in my opinion to last longer and it's not because i don't um, have an acute understanding of the the problems that it's uh, going to wreak and the destruction and the real the, the lives that will be lost because of closing the market. I mean, that's, that's going to happen. Um, but the longer we have to sort of struggle against this new reality, I think the more enlightened we are as to what the daily routines, what the reality was that many uh-huh. parents weren't privy to prior to to this time. Right. The, the reality is, is what's that? That learning from a parent perspective, that learning yeah. is really good. It's really healthy to know. Right. Because the, again, we're speaking towards teachers that we understand are feeling hands tied. So whereby parents and teachers can say, well, why are field trips not happening twice a week? What or twice a month, whatever it may be, let's grow in that direction. Because uh, the other day, going back on um, everything that I've shared about the Playmates um, program, a parent, you know, I had documented what we what we had done throughout the day, be it hiking, be it tree climbing, be it. closing in on a cow (laughs) and all these different things like she she said you must be so tired you know it was about 12 30 she was picking up her kid and that's really interesting to me that you thought that i was tired at 12 30 when during the regular school year um most of our teachers were finishing at five p.m (laughs) Some of them were finishing at 6.30. Right. Um, Now, you must be tired. I said, no. Um, No. I mean, I am. And and I took a little power nap, as my dad used to call, because I had a session in the afternoon. And those consist primarily of, like, entering a, a cycle of, like, relaxation and then being 
up for what's next. That that was cool. But was I tired? No. I I I loved the morning. And what I told her was, I I am tired when I am put in an environment where number one, learning is not happening. Right. Um, and, and then number two, where it's forced to not happen. That's tiresome. What I experienced today with the kids was great. And, and, and I may feel a certain muscular exhaustion, but it's momentary and, and I'm ready for the afternoon. Why? Because I haven't experienced the spiritual exhaustion, the mental or the emotional exhaustion. Those three components have been high. And yeah, what I did by some sort of hike or exercise was at par with what the kids did. I should be ready at this point in my life to be able to give more. Right. I mean, you're, you're experiencing the same elation that occurs in a child that is, has been liberated to learn. Right. right? And right. where, where the elation is worth mentioning, right? Like there's something about, and, and people feel that in many ways, right? Like, you can feel that after sex. Yeah, you can feel that at the end of like uh, like of this show where you've been moving your body more than you move it at a gym, but somehow elation comes in and says, you've still got more, right? You're not feeling defeated. But there's no elation after eight hours of hell of doing something. And so there that's where we begin to experience and understand the connectiveness between the physical, the intellectual, the emotional, the spiritual, right? Like yeah. they, like the it, it's just a reality. Right now my body so like my physical body needs a little rest. It needed food, it got it. It needs a little rest, but all the other components are like really ready to keep going. It's like it, 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 the excitement of being able to plunge back into education slash play the way that it should be um, cannot be understated. Yeah, I think it's a, it's important to highlight the the idea that that elation qualifies in opening for learning. And so if we talk about play from a therapeutic perspective, you are experiencing play therapy, right? right? You are experiencing from a, from a teacher mentor perspective, the therapy of, of that environment in the same way that kids that are coming from uh, in, in, in many cases, extremely, traumatic environments, traumatic home environments, uh, traumatic environments that exist outside of the school. Um, There's a, there's a lot of discussion about like how, well, you got to create the safety factor at school before learning can happen. Um, Well, here, here we're like, well, why don't you just do this? I mean, what happens is that elation and and that relaxation that happens from the relief of getting out of that environment 
that quarantine, those four walls huh. of standardization, um, allows for that elation to be a premise for an immense amount of learning to happen that you can't stop as an instructor at that point. Right. It's so much learning is happening then that the mentor instructor cannot possibly document it all. It's a throwback to the idea of, of like, okay, well, if we're going to be in this environment, we need to be really good observers. But, uh, but if, if our intention is education, yeah. if our intention is learning, then a conventional environment is a systemic organization of breaks on learning, of putting breaks and blocks and obstacles to actual learning. Uh, because when we, when we take those breaks off and go outside, um, it's not just a free-for-all, it's a learning free-for-all. I think that that's an important factor to, to come back to is that we're not just wanting a break from a work environment. That's not it. Right. It's we want to be able to do the work that is this work. And there is and, an environment and, and, that exists where that can happen, but we avoid it all the time. We avoid it with regulations, with administrative perspective, uh, with uh, financial perspective, with liability, insurance, all of those, those things that, that become the, the mortar and the bricks of that confinement, right? So I love what you're saying. So it's empathetic you're putting yourself in the shoes of colleagues that we have succumbed to this or that, but there's many of us, you included, that have moved out of that within what we can. Our message now is not to say to, to a bunch of, people that are stuck in the system like liberate yourselves like okay what what are we saying like you've done some audacious things to be fired <laughs> yeah uh, like we know what it's like to be fired or to to be hired onto a job to say i'm willing to do this but i won't do this that aside like what about those who which is the majority just want to play and are not allowed to play because you've been in those shoes. Like, uh, are you calling to a Che Guevara uproar within, you know, some education system in, in Denver? Well, okay. You're going to lose everybody. But, but what do you, what do you want people to do? Mm. I think uh, that goes back to the idea that as, as educators, as instructors, as mentors, we ourselves are never finished as learners. And part of that empathy is to constantly put ourselves in the position. And I'm pretty concrete about that. Put yourself in the position that you're asking the student to be in. And the more that we do that, the less we are inclined to emphasize the positions that are incredibly compromising that children 
uh, within the, the conventional system often find themselves in, right? So what, what do I mean by that? Um, let's talk about something like using recess as a... Yeah, as that's a, exactly as a what I was thinking. Punishment, right? Like I'm going to take away your recess because you're not doing what I need you to do in the four walls of this quarantine classroom, right? right. The, and so I'm going to take Be away bold. the... The, the so within the conventional system, and I'll say this uh, time and time again. Often, more learning is happening in the fifteen-minute recess than happens in the entire school day, and so what oh. that educator is doing is removing the most valuable learning time that happens because okay. direct instruction has to, for direct instruction to be highly effective it wow. means uh to have a massive qualification of of relationship behind it and let's so man this is good like so because it puts responsibility on the break that a that a teacher that has been in quarantine which is a stressful situation and the recess is a break to the teacher, right? Because you become, you lose your moniker as a teacher and you become a monitor. You succumb to that. It's your break. It's their break, right? And you're saying, have your recess, but during class, right? Like, okay, that, that's a good first step. I love it. Enjoy your recess. You will learn more than I could ever teach you. Take that as a premise. Then what? I would deconstruct all of the aspects of obstacles to actual learning. Uh, systematically. I mean, any instructor can do this. Just go to your classroom and, and say, what? how does my classroom inhibit learning and i don't think that's a question that you're not allowed to ask like when when we are in the binds of salary politics we've already been through all of this we're virtually not allowed to ask but if we're going to confront something as educators Allow recess to be recess, but let's be creative with what we know are the limitations of the quarantine in the classroom. Sure. Sure. I mean, I, I look at, you know, from experience that a, that a lot of what we did over the course of, of time at the studio in Costa Rica was to ask that question every day. We never stopped asking that question. And, and once you identify an obstacle, then the question is like, well, how do we re- not only remove the obstacle, but actually re- create through a regenerative practice, how do we improve the learning environment so that it's fostering, the environment itself is fostering the educational moment um, rather than that being dictated from from me as an as an adult so that i can actually 
be engaged in more play across more students' learning experiences. So that there's a, a couple different anecdotes come to mind. Um, there was a moment when my son was was a sixth grader and he was, he was in middle school, and there was a, a parent-teacher conference. And, and one of the ways that they do parent-teacher conferences now is to do a student-led parent-teacher conference where the teacher is really, you know, backs off and the student is supposed to explain to the parent, you know, kind of what their daily life at the school is and walk them through their examples of, of their work. And I sat down with my, my sixth grader and, and his teacher and we opened up his portfolio of work and they had taken on the, um, the language of calling each piece uh, an artifact, right? And, and, and saying, hey, why don't you show some of these artifacts to your father? And I looked, I looked through his work and I just asked my son, I said, um, is it a fact that any of this is art? If we're interested in artifacts, I was like, is it a fact that any of this is art? Meaning when we discover an artifact, we are, uh-huh. we're uncovering some piece of treasure that has a, an immense amount of meaning. And it's something that you want to save, right. right? And so I said, right. is, there, is any of this work something that you want to keep for your entire life. Right. And the answer was no. And I said, so really you don't have any artifacts here in this portfolio of learning. You have your three months right, so into this you, educational you, process. You've, okay. So you've very sensitively moved as one who knows education and child development very well into a dialogue not not reprimanding the teacher but but holding accountable your child to the utmost learning experience which would be to create art and you've asked your child is any of what you've created art worthy is it an artifact and they've responded no (laughs) whoever it was is outside of that conversation completely that's okay there's reasons for that but your child has engaged that and said no yeah, at, at that moment, I needed my child to know what was important to me. And yeah, absolutely. And if I defer to what's important to the teacher, who in this case was was maybe an, an average, I mean, they, they were doing their job. They, they printed right. off all the worksheets and they delivered right. all the worksheets and they graded the worksheets. Um, <laughs> but, right. but that's, again, they were, they were functionally doing their job, but, but, does that mean education? So I needed my, my child to know really from a macro, right. from a macro perspective, right. what was important. And I said more to my child in that moment, 
because the, right. the relationship that my child had with that particular teacher was always going to be temporal because that teacher wasn't developing yeah. an honest, long-term relationship with my child. Yeah. It's, it's part of the reality. And the cool thing is that you didn't necessarily defame what was taking place, but you held your standard. I'll be honest. Like when I was growing up, like most of what I remember is my mother defaming and and I knew of it. I knew that my mom defended who I was versus who the school. So it was this rebellious character. And and I don't see any of that within what you're saying. You were just asking a different question. One that was outside of quarantine. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And your child knew how to respond to that and engage like I don't even know what the meeting was about or what transcended but there was something different taking place that was to say is any of this that you're doing worthwhile and there was an honest and quick uh, response that said you know none of it sure it, it's not to say that there's no valuable information transpiring in the routines that happen within with that environment. But what, what I really need my children to know is that my expectations for them are that they take into their own power, the initiative to make all learning as productive and as meaningful as possible. And so the, the onus was really putting, you know, in, hopefully in a gentle enough way, putting that, that onus back on, on my child, because my child is the one right. that's, that's going, that I'm going to be with through this process. So, and I'm not, right. I, I'm not going to step in and dictate what, how much art should be in every lesson that my child tackles. Right. But Maybe there's a kernel of or a little seed of something there that says, when you do work, I mean, I, th- I think Emerson said this, is that when, when you do work, make it good work. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. When, when, when was this? Uh, sixth grade. So this was the year... Um, <laughs> So this is like, what, eight years ago? No, this is 2014, 2015. So So there's a gamble in what you did, right? There's always a gamble in, in in, in these things. So I know it's a bigger picture, but have you seen a direct aftermath of that decision in that moment? you present it as pivotal and oftentimes, you know, I could have asked you two months later and you would have said no fucking way. Um, Has there been yet or maybe not? Um, Because you're doing what you need to do, but the seed might not, you know, sprout until later on. I, I don't know. Like it's great 
but you know, like you could be you know, condemned for a long period after that, you know, like you could be the one that turns your child away from everything for such a comment like that. You don't have control over that. You're like staking a ground, but it's not a sure bet well, <clears throat> to be sure. Um, you know, I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't necessarily ask that question of just any student, right? I, it, getting right. to that question where it's the right time to say that, it was the right time because the school had organized the parent-teacher conference to go this way. And, and because I know my student and because I knew in that moment enough of of the instructor and the, the work that was being asked of my student. Part of uh, what we discuss a lot, if we go back to that learning environment and like um, what's a break on learning and what's encouraging or inspiring learning. When I go into a classroom and I see work that's not art worthy posted on the wall and it's work that we know is disposable work. Right, we know that this work is going to go on the wall. Maybe go back home and go on a refrigerator, and maybe, in some cases, if depending on the parent, maybe be archived within a a personal archive. You know, that's and then Uh you know we 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 all know people that whose parents give them that body of work when they have a child they're like this is all of your stuff from elementary and and that can be fun uh, but really what, what at that point you go yeah. through and you and you look at all the worksheets and you lo- you're looking at two things anything that's unique and you're looking at the grades <laughs> you're looking at oh i got four out of 15 on this one or i got <laughs> or you know i got an excellent on this right. one and from that perspective we're sort of nostalgically remembering everything that was and, and comparing weighing anything that was meaningful against what wasn't. And, and often when we get that body of work, if we really are honest with ourselves, we, we realize just how much routine and daily work was non-meaningful. Right. And what you're bringing to float which is great for all that we're talking about. We've talked clearly about relationship. If we're going to put some landmarks, it would be meaning. Is what you're doing meaningful? Right? And that was a question that you were presenting at that point. Like, is it an artifact? Okay. Is what you've produced over these six months of any meaning to you to those that come those are big questions that are worth carrying uh, as a way of trying to determine is it meaningful what you're doing what you're creating what you're learning what you're experiencing is it truly meaningful or is it passing that's worth stopping at for a point yeah i, I think it's worth it in my relationship with my, my children for them to know that i know that a lot of the work that they're getting is non-meaningful and right. i accept that 
and right. I choose not to engage that, you know? And it's, it's okay. Like, <laughs> right. And that's the point that we navigate. Like there's some stuff that's meaningless that we have to do. Do it. We can categorize to what extent it's meaningless and maybe might be truly meaningful, be it washing some dishes in the home and the next day they could be doing it now is meaningful versus doing it the next morning. We can well, get that's, into that's all a, of It's that. an important distinction because meaningful doesn't necessarily always mean fun. That, that, doesn't mean fun. So yeah, washing right. dishes is incredibly meaningful. <laughs> it's the, in fact, a lot of the most mundane things that we do <laughs> are absolutely just meaningful they're crucial right and language makes things difficult when we're saying that washing dishes is as meaningful as the art piece that you really dedicated time to like the meaning in getting things done that you need to do as a student or as a child young adult growing up at home may implicitly be different than what you feel at that moment is truly meaningful. But the underlying notion, the meaning there is far beyond um, what we may understand and we get caught up in too much stuff that is meaningless. Right. Uh, And, and that's the real Trump is like all of the meaning, truly meaningless stuff that is not being stated as meaningless that we're caught up. Right. Part of the challenge of the system as it's set up is that there's a weight of meaning that is largely abstract. So for, for instance, we tell a lot of students that what they're doing is preparing them to go to the university. And that's why they have to do it. That's why it's meaningful. And so, well, that is uh, less meaningful to populations that where, where that reality is more abstract or more implausible. Right. So it's like, well, if you come from a family where your parents or your single parent just has to work all the time and you see that your daily life is is made possible, not by a a university education, but by just going and getting a job, then you may you may see that the functions of the family, which are incredibly meaningful, are facilitated by you uh, dropping out of school and picking up a part-time job to contribute to the family. That's pretty meaningful. Uh, And so I think that understanding what the relationship with relevance and meaning is a differentiated drilled in dialed in conversation. That's unique to every student. And incredibly complex to be able to work through, but worthwhile having on the table in its disastrous form. Sure. Uh, right now we're just saying, you know, bec- because if we don't throw it out there, then 
we succumb to what has been taking place for the last 20, 30, 40 years, which is to discard what is really meaningful for a pseudo meaningful nature that eventually unveils itself and says, I wasn't really meaningful all along. <laughs> right. Or, or, or at this point in time, uh, everything, all of the meaning that I was prepared for to go to the university is now this massive debt that I'm paying off. And like, and I have to just trust another abstract, you know, meaning, (laughs) you know, or four years after that, what many companies are expressing is that your undergraduate education doesn't mean anything to work. <laughs> right you, you what you've done doesn't mean anything right and don't we say that all the time when we say well uh, what what what's your what's your major oh well you can't make any money at that here's your list of acceptable majors <laughs> right? like computer science right, right. accounting uh, uh business and Physics and, and and even with and what's interesting is even within those quote unquote meaningful realms of education, people are beginning to say that's not that meaningful. So just having on the table right now the conversation of what's meaningful in upbringing, in education, in school, in career development uh, is worthwhile because it's all up for grabs at this point. Indeed. With with that, we will close off this podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you to all of our listeners who contribute questions and feedback and enlighten our conversations Thank you for listening. You can find out more information about our programming and our endeavors at uh, www.originated.org. And we'll see you next time. All right. Bye-bye.